0: If I was stepping up before a group of men, it would be, room, ten, (laughs) hook. Get your mind ready to go, because we are going to dig in the Word, and the Word is from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, We've been praying for this opportunity, and then uh, you're going to hear me say it so many times, I'm going to look at the Word. I may even call on you uh, to read something, but uh, I have only this to bring to you. Not my opinion, not my word, but only what God has to say to us. And that's what you always want to be when you're around people and they're giving you advice. Show me where it is in Scripture. Because I'm buying that. Human psychology, human wisdom, secular thoughts, they'll lead you to stray. So we begin by the privilege of being with you. And Hebrews 10, 24, 25 said, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, bless you, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we live in this world, as we walk in this world, what I see as I traveled all over this world and as we speak in churches and conferences, I'm concerned. My brothers and sisters, I'm concerned. Because a lot of people, and I see the believers in this world, there's evil, and there's good, and the battle's on. Scripture is very clear. And they walk through this world with their little flower. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. And meanwhile, the battle is on. The war is on, and they are not ready. And we know that, not because I'm telling you, not because I have a military background. I know it because the word is very clear. So take your sword or your Bible and open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be looking at 10 through 20. Very clear. It's a war and what you need to do about it. And we're going to look through that. We're going to look at these areas. Our topic will be tactical spiritual warfare. And it's designed to encourage you to be ready for the battle. In fact, it's been said the Bible can be read as a book of triumph of God, the divine warrior. And even broadly speaking, it's a book in which God is at war against evil. But a final victory is yet to come when Christ, the divine warrior, returns to overthrow death and seal his conquest over the powers of the age. So we're going to look through this. We're going to look at Ephesians. But I want you to know this, this daily conflict, this struggle that we're going through, the apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. So, this spiritual battle, I'll bring in a military perspective. Because when you think of war, you think about battle, it's important. So one of the things that we're going to be talking about is tactical spiritual warfare. And what is that? Continuing actions carefully plan to gain specific military end. It's a day-to-day plan that you have when you get up in the morning, the enemy's on. If you name the Christ and you walk with him, you are an enemy in this world. And so this tactical plan we're going to look at tonight will get you ready for this war. We're going to look at the two things that you have to do. And please, my brothers and sisters... Do not leave here tonight not armed, not ready, not prepared. If not, you will be a casualty in the war. I have seen casualties in this war. And the history is what's being written, even as we're talking about, more and more people in this world we're living are rejecting Christ, a casualty of the war. You're seeing it all the time. So, again, we're destroying these strongholds, By the word of God, and we consider this spiritual warfare as a broad sense, it certainly includes the gospel to break through sin and hardened oppositions. For you and I to be effective in spiritual battle we face daily, it's imperative we have a plan. And we used to say all the time, as a military officer dealing with, in the strategic air command, dealing with satellites and nuclear weapons, we always said this, fail to plan, you'll plan to fail. Guaranteed. And that's where I see many churches and many believers with no plan. So the Word of God is our source. Our first technical plan using military terminology is this. Your Your first preparation involves a response, and I'll explain it to you from the military perspective, to lock and load, to be armed. That's locked with the armor of God as you are loaded with a determined prayer life, ready for the spiritual battle. Now, when we look at this, again, it's going to be from the Word of God. I don't have anything to say. I'm a wicked sinner like you are, saved by grace. But the truth, John 8 says, sets us free. And so if we're going to understand what this battle is going on right now, we need to go to the Word of God. And we'll look at Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read 10 through 20, and then we'll pull it apart. Glad to have little people here. Thanks, guys. Glad to see you back there. Okay. Good to see you. Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, I love the little people. They're so much fun. So it's, we'll see where that goes. So let's look through this. The whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put it on, the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces and darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in this heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in change that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as they ought to speak. So we look at this tactical issue, and we talk about, first of all, lock and load. Lock means you put the armor on. As we take up our sword, we remember this. We remember that we have to be ready. We're reminded not to be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever we go. Joshua was told that in Joshua 1.9. God is with us. But some people have asked me and other people, if is God with us and how can I be strong to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? That's a good question. It's a fair question. It's time to look at this armor that God provides for us. And it's so sad that it sits over in so many churches and is never put on. And then I've watched people crippled, wounded, hurt, walk away from the greatest gift given to us, Jesus Christ. So, the first thing we see is this belt of truth. Again, we talked about from John eight, thirty-one, and through, the word is the belt of truth. It kind of holds everything together. And John 8 says that you have that truth. The truth sets you free from all the garbage that's going on out there, from all the lies that are being perpetuated. Without this part of the armor, we're not prepared for action. And again, Ephesians four fourteen says, "We'll be carried by every armor, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickeries of men, and by the craftiness and deceitful schemings." Who doesn't look around us around and watch the media or what's being said and see the schemes and the lies that are being perpetuated across the board? Put your belt on. Put your truth on. Second Timothy two four. Don't be entangled with the affairs of everyday life, and please the one, this one, who's enlisted us as a soldier. You name the name of Christ again. I started when you came in here. As an officer in the military, if you walked in a room with a list of people, I guarantee that's would be the first thing that would happen. Room ten, hut. As you were, have a seat. That means we're ready to go. Are you paying attention? Because if they were not paying attention to what we're going to tell them, and they're going to go out to battle, how many? How long do you think they're going to last? Not very long at all. They're going to do something stupid. They're going to go somewhere they shouldn't be gone. And strategically, long term, we're going to lose that battle. So you have to remember this from the beginning. Do you put truth on every day? Truth found here. Not in other people. Not in the news. Not in magazines. Not in a book. It's found here. Everything else is washed by human reasoning. Our second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. It keeps us obedient to God's word. Many of the battle scars do not come from other people, but where do they come from? Our own unconfessed and uncleansed sin. When you sin against the Father, what do you do with it? Dismiss it? Let it go? Or do you go before him and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Help me to love you and serve you. We all do that. We all fail and flounder and flunk. Everybody in this room. But what do you do with it when that happens? Most often I see it in my engagement with other people that are angry with me or sometimes even with my wife. Sometimes I might say something that was unkind or ungracious. And yet I'm called in 1 Corinthians 13 to love her the right way. And so what do I need to do? Well, I wasn't really meaning that. You didn't think that. No, I have to go to and say, Missy, I'm sorry. I was sinful. What I said was unkind and ungracious. Will you forgive me? That's what you do. That's what God calls us to do. And so what you do is, for you, to put on this breastplate of righteousness, the battle scars we have is what we create. As Dr. MacArthur states, many of the churches today are guilty of supplying believers with paper armor through human advice, psychology, activities, programs, when what they really need is biblical counsel and confrontation to live righteously. It is a unique opportunity <laughs> not quite the word I would say, but very few churches that I'm aware of practice church discipline. It's sad. When someone's continually in sin and living the life that they want, and they're not doing what God calls them to do, that will only perpetuate that sin. And that will only cause it to grow. And he talks about this here, Dr. MacArthur talks about, because churches want to have numbers in their congregation. But if you really cared about someone and someone's continuing to live in sin, you would go to them and speak the truth in love and tell them, if you're continuing this way, you will be judged for that. And you will, you will not only be judged for that, but you will reap what you sow. The Bible's very clear on that. You do not play around with God and what he t- tells us to do. He's very clear about that. This breath of righteousness that we wear, it protects us. James reminds us not just to hear the word, but to be a what of the word? -er. Doer. So to ask that question, well, I read my Bible. I heard pastors preach today. I heard this on the radio. Great. What's one thing you're going to do with that? And every time you hear the word and you read the word, you ask yourself, what do I need to put off and what do I need to put on? I see in my life, I'm not patient. So I need to put on patience. Lord, help me to be more patient with people that I see. You will know in your own life the areas that you need to work on. You should be aware, though, if you have the breastplate of righteousness on, you will see pretty quickly these are areas that I have to work on. Everyone in this room is a sinner. (laughs) Sorry. Get ready for it. We're all sinners. And the question is, do you allow that to rule over your life? Now it's time to move along, and that's where our feet come in, ready to march ready to climb, ready to fight. Christ demands we're ready to go. Our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And when we stand in confidence to God's care and his commitment to fight for us, we're reminded from Romans 8.31 that if God is for us, who can be against us? On the Appalachian Trail I finished a few weeks ago, um, it, was, it wasn't uncommon when you, were, when you were hiking these 2,100 miles that you would go through pairs of shoes. I went through three pairs of shoes. And uh, I found on each case as I was being wearing these pair of shoes as they got worn out, my opportunity to slip and slide on the trail was increased dramatically. You were literally climbing up rocks and you were going up mountains up 6,000 feet. There was a gentleman from the Netherlands that played around with the mountains like he shouldn't have been, went to the edge and he went over the edge and died. So it is with being shod with feet that you're ready to go. You're ready to march. You're ready to walk. And this this means that you're ready to get in the word of God and live the word of God. God is before us. He's for us. He's going to help us in this process. If you're not ready to head down the trail and grow in grace by walking down through the word, you're left behind and you will fail in the battle. We move on to our fourth piece of armor. It's the shield of faith. The soldiers, it's interesting, when they carried the shields of faith in battle in the front lines, it's interesting, they stood side by side with their shields together. I love that. So we don't think about that. So many often when I've seen that, they say, well, you have your shield here. No, but we're together. So we help each other. We have the shield and we help, one other we care one another. And again, I'll, you'll hear me say several times about the trail, but I've never been around unbelievers in a very, very... Close manner as I was in the trail, and I could not believe the things they would say and what they would do, and their unhappiness in their life. Because as again it was what those that were there are reminded from Psalm nineteen ones, the heavens declare the glory of God. You would see the mountains, and you would see the streams, and you would see the rivers, and all that were there, and you're rejecting God, and all you're doing is damning Him by your, what you say and how you do it. And frankly, my friends, it was obvious their life was miserable. You could tell by the things they talked about and what they are about. And I had many an opportunity to pray with many of them. And many of them, when I did an opportunity to pray with them, several of them wept because they were on the trail because they were running from life's scars. And so it gives us a great opportunity that our feet are shod with this, this preparation of the gospel of peace. And the greatest hope that we can bring to people is to pray for them and see where that takes us. And it was so wonderful to see some people saying, I want to know more about Christ, Ray. Can you tell me more? I would love to. I'll tell you more. So we now go to our fourth piece of armor, the shield of faith. And we talked about that. I'm sorry, I moved in that already. And we talked about how we use that shield together. And we help one another. We protect one another. We work together. We spur one another to trust of God and his salvation and his strength. And remind me these words, faith is living during Hard times with God's grace. And we're so certain that God's with us that we will stake our life on what God's accomplished in our life. Amen. That's what the shield will do. I'm standing here. I have my shield. We're in this together. We're going to bring on the truth. And I can promise you, you've seen it. When you bring the truth, when you testify to Christ and what he's done in your life and everything else, hiking on the trail, we're talking with some of the guys. There was somebody behind us and I couldn't believe it. There were three or four people on the hike. We were five together. And this person says, shut up. Quit talking about God and what he's about. I don't care about God. I'm an atheist. I don't want anything to do with God. And I said, ma'am, if you don't want to hike with us that are talking about God and what he's doing, you can go in front of us. And the other two guys, we were talking about what God's doing and what we're seeing on the trail. They were like, oh, my word. There you go through hatefulness of an individual that has nothing to do with God doesn't desire Christ doesn't even want to hear about him that's what we're talking about and so that's the world we live in when you reject the beauty of Christ there's a hatred there so what's the next thing we see the fifth piece of armor it's a helmet and the helmet is designed to protect our head and it indicates that's where Satan is going to attack it. That's where the blows are going to be directed. Our thoughts can be discouraging when we see other believers going through hard times and we try to help them. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians, let us not lose heart in doing good for this in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Galatians six nine. By wearing the helmet of salvation it allows us to what? Demolish arguments and every pretensions that sets itself against the knowledge of God. We told that person that yelled at us because they didn't want to hear about this. We will tell you about Christ and what He's done, and what the Word has to say. I don't, and she didn't care. She just wanted to yell at us. There you go. She's been taken captive by the enemy, and she's so hard-hearted and so difficult. She would yell at people that were together. We're talking about what Christ is doing and how much we care and love Him. What the Bible has to say. So we have to be aware, be, know that. By wearing this helmet of salvation, it allows us to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets us up against the knowledge of God. And it allows us to take thoughts captive and be obedient to Christ. How do we know that? I'm not just telling you that. 2 Corinthians 10.5. I will give you verses after verses after verses because you want to know the truth. It's in the truth that we live. So the helmet has to be on there. You've got to guard your thinking. It's there every day. All the lies and all the things that are happening, it's amazing. We are moving eschatologically, which means the end times. We are moving toward the end time. I hope you see that. If you don't run out of and see what that looks, I'll give you a simple one. What was it, five years ago, six years ago, when someone said, I want to be a woman, give me some drugs and I'll cut some body parts off and I can be a woman. Someone would have said, then, you're crazy, dude. Now when someone says that and you say, you're crazy, that, that, you can't do that, that's hate speech. What? That's hate speech? You're going to live a life that doesn't make any sense? And does not work that way? And that's hate for me, speech for me to tell you that you can't live that way? Because Romans 1 is very clear. It's to show us that you are reaping the, your wickedness and God will turn his back on you for that. It's the world we live in. They've been besieged by their thought process. And that's where the helmet comes in. It protects us. It keeps our mind from the lies that are out there. Our sixth piece of armor. A favorite one. The sword. I love it. It's my favorite. It's the sword of the spirit, which is explained as the word of God. The only offensive weapon needed. Scripture is clear that God is the author of the scripture. All scripture is inspired by God, he tells us in 2 Timothy 3. It's effective in spiritual warfare. So shall my word by which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner in which I sent it. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. when you open up the word, when you go to the, hear a sermon preached and everything, my brothers and sisters, listen, pay attention because that word that runs out there, God makes it very clear. It will not come back empty. When the word goes out there, it should cause you, strive you to grow in grace and kill sin. And again, I've heard it too many times. Well, I really liked my pastor's sermon. Went to Sunday school today. It was just great. Well, what did you learn? Well, I can't really remember what he was talking about. Well, I didn't really have my Bible with me. Foolishness. Foolishness. I told the guys on the trail, get a check up from the neck up. I mean... When the word of God runs, you are going to be held accountable for it. I will be held accountable for it. And you need to be ready for it. Our thoughts can be discouraging. We know that. And when the word of God comes in earth, it it removes the confusion. This modern world with everyday seemingly turned upside down. Human ideas and theories have consequences. And the details of daily living involving warfare against a number of enemies like Satan, circumstances, other people, and even ourselves, we have to wield this word of God carefully. So powerful, it will transform lives. Paul uses the word not logos, referring to the general statements, but he uses the word here, rima. Why? It's individual word. Each word in scripture is put there by God for a reason. I think it was 752,775. I can't remember. I think that number, I might be a plus or minus one or two, but you can go back and do the research and find out. But every word in the book, the Bible is put in there precisely by our God for a reason. It's not just the general knowledge of scripture we must know, but it is the precision in battle that comes from knowing and understanding specific truths. So think about the sword that you have in your hand. You go to war and you have to fight, and you can't hardly pick it up, and you don't know what to do with it, and someone says, I hate God, I don't know what you're doing about Well, I got my sword. You want to see? I, th- I think it is. And you're holding the sharp end instead of the handle like you're supposed to, and you don't even know how to bring it in bear. That's gonna be efe- not going to be effective at all. You need to be able to use that sword, and you can do it. Let me show you this. This is why this. You believe that the earth is here. It rotates around the sun. There's oxygen in here, and you think that just happened. That's interesting. How does that do this? You have more faith than I do. Without this world, God creates, God does it. I can show you what that looks like. Get ready. Get ready to bring the word into people's lives. So when we go there, have your sword, have it ready. Dr. Henry Morris in his book, The Long War Against God says, whenever foundational doctrines of scripture are compromised or rejected by Christians, heresy And apostasy results. Even when biblical truth is neglected by Christians, then life becomes what? Self-centered rather than God-centered. So, we now have looked at this issue. Our first principle we talked about. We wanted you to understand that. Are you locked in the armor of God? We showed you those parts of the armor that you need to have on. You need to be aware. And one of them is, not all of them. And God gives us that armor. And the question I would leave with you, are you locked in God's armor? Our next section has to do with loading up. Lock and load. This is what we talk about in the military, so I'm using those terms. And what is this load? This load is, he says here, in 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. We need to be praying, loading up with the spirit of God in prayer. And and so you're saying, well, how do we, what, you know, what does that mean to load up with the spirit? You know what? God always gives us the answer. It's right here. It's right here in the text. English pastor and critic of ritualism, that means basically saying that we have these liturgical things that we do, so they must be all right rather than prayer. J.C. Ryle says, do you pray? He would ask people in his congregation, do you pray? And then he would go on to say, all the evidence of real work of the Spirit is a habit of hearty prayer. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray, Matthew twenty six forty one. And Paul counseled the Colossians to devote themselves to prayer, Colossians 4, 4 2. So this Greek word to vote is proskakero, which means to be constant, steadfast, persevering. Unfortunately, Christians don't get prayer seriously until some problem arises in the spiritual battle. But if you think about it for a moment, if the battle's going hard and heavy and you're wounded and then you think to pray about it, You're a little bit further behind than you need to be. If you would have started in the beginning, have your armor on and be praying, maybe you wouldn't be where you are right now. I've done that in thousands of hours of counseling and watched people weep when they said, yes, it's true. I did not pray about it. And now my life is a mess. Dr. MacArthur basically gives us six dispositions of prayer life from this passage that I want you to walk away with. First, all prayer and petition, he says. In that, he talks about a variety of prayer, prayer that is repetitive, and since the person repeats the same phrase over and over again, some mantra or formula is not biblical, it was Jesus who reminded the people in Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, do not heap upon us empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard. There are many words. Empty phrases refers to babbling, the same words over and over. Your, your prayer is not a magical formula or some incantation. Vain reputation gives credence to superstition more than it does what God's going to do. If I repeat the same prayers over and over again. It tells me, you are lacking a true relationship with the Heavenly Father. Second, he tells us here not only is that and our petition should be, there's this variety, but it says at all times. That's the frequency. We are familiar with the Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says to pray regularly when our heart is in turmoil. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehensions, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Having a hard day? Work isn't going right you need to? Someone's hurt you, offended you? Something's going on in your life? What do you do? Get angry? Depressed? Discouraged? No. Go after them? You're angry? No. You go to the Lord and you be anxious for him and you pray it for him. And you thank, for, thank him for what he's doing and how he will hear your cry. It will surpass our understanding to watch God work. Watching him work is amazing. I love watching God work, I love watching what he does. So, our third part in prayer is that our prayers be in the spirit. Praying in the spirit reminds us that we're conscious of the awareness of God's presence which sanctifies both our prayers and even our lives. And how do I know that? Because Romans eight twenty six and 27 tells us there. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray, as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings so deep that his words, therefore, God will search our hearts. He'll know the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How wonderful it is when we cast our cares upon the Lord. And I've been there, you've been there, watching a situation, watching a person, whatever else. And I would say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I watch this person, I watch what hurts going on, and I see the <clears throat> counsel happening. We're dealing with right now in our family member. We have a member of our family right now. My youngest daughter, Molly, been married nine years. Her husband has been found three times unfaithful. And we are broken over that. And she is broken over that. And now they're going through divorce. It kills us. They have two children, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And the seven-year-old little girl, Bailey, she knows what's going on and she's in tears. There you have it. This is what you're seeing. And I would say, honestly, I have no problem with saying that. You would find Missy and I in tears over that too, especially when Molly Call's broken over it. So what do we do? Go after him? Get angry? No. No. We cast our cares upon the Lord said, Lord, you know what's going on in Molly's life. Pray that you would give her strength and courage. And pray, Lord, that Spencer would, would confess his sin and quit pursuing wickedness. And we leave it with the Lord. He's sovereign and we can trust him. So we know that all times we can count on him. And he will give us the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. All right, so when we do pray, our next point is that we, do, we pray in the Spirit. Did I do that one already? I already did that one, sorry. I get, whenever I'm talking about my daughter, she's my youngest one, my baby, I, yeah. It, it's very difficult for Missy and I. It, yeah. So I'll get back on there in just a minute. Okay, I'm ready. Whew. Pray in the Spirit. What does that look like? Ah, we know from Scripture. When the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had a confusing dream, he ordered his counselors to describe the dream and tell him what it meant, or he, they would all die. But the Bible tells us that Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, and he urged them to plead for mercy of God in heaven concerning the mystery, so that his friends would not be executed. Not only were Daniel and his friends saved, but they were also elevated to positions of high authority, in this pagan country, Daniel would become a spiritual influence to three powerful kings. So you have no idea where God will place you if you're willing to identify yourself as a believer who goes before the throne of grace and begs the Lord to get himself involved. Led by the Spirit, we know that our Father hears our prayers. As your preparation and my preparations in this tactical warfare, we have been locked in our armor We're loading up our understanding of what prayer looks like and we turn to our fourth point in prayer. We must be on alert. Boom, boom. Got it? Be alert. We know that life's trials come to our house that God will accomplish His spiritual purposes through them, but we've got to be watching what's going on around us all the time and praying to God to provide us strength He will enable us to be assessing the situation, to be discerning. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Be aware. Look around. See what's happening. I have counseled thousands of hours of people and they one of their things sometimes and they're hurt and what they've gone through is their usual say, but I was surprised what happened when this happened here. We went to the store and this guy opened the door and dragged out. Really? Be alert. Be unarmed. We've already talked about in this spiritual warfare, this world is full of evil and wickedness, and we have to be aware of that, and we have to be unarmed for that. Be alert. Fight the good fight of faith. When someone challenges your Christian faith, be ready for it. Paul is admonishing Timothy because he wasn't being ready. He didn't understand the importance of concentration, of discipline, or the extreme effort needed to be prepared for the battle. Dr. Henry Morris reminds us of the increased battles when he says, an unprecedented confusion is now permeating the modern world. Everything has seemingly been turned upside down and the older standards of right and wrong have all been completely interchanged. Hmm, interesting. So, if you're going to be alert, let me tell you some three things that will encourage you to be alert. Number one, Jesus is coming back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> amen, amen, Matthew 24, 42, therefore, be alert, since you don't know what days the Lord is coming, why else should we be alert, Jesus is coming back, and we also have, what, opportunities to serve others, 1st Thessalonians 5, 11 says to encourage one another, to build one another up, and in that encouragement, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, says we have to do this, admonish the undisciplined, encourage the faint-hearted help the weak and be patient with everyone on the trail i was overwhelmed with that opportunity there were so many opportunities to pray for people encourage people it was amazing to see so many people on the trail that were just going through so much difficulty almost to the point at in the morning when i would stop start the trail i would spend an hour as i was walking the trail praying for what would happen i call them divine appointments And it was amazing how often people would come to me about things on the trail that didn't know Christ or wanted to know some more because God wanted that to happen. And so we have to be looking for ways that we can serve others. And then we have to do what? When we talk about staying alert, what else do we have to be aware of? There is a tendency for us to drift away from truth. We must be secure ourselves to the truth of the gospel at all times. Hebrews 2 verses 1 says, For this reason, we must pay with closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift from it. It's very clear in Scripture. You heard something, you disregard it, it's not for me, I'm not interested in it, and you drift away, and now you are now in enemy land. And when the enemy lands, you're in his land, you're going to be captured by it. I've seen it, you probably have as well. Fifth point, to improve your prayer life so as to be ready for the spiritual warfare, is to be persistent, or as Ephesians 6.18 says, our prayer should be with all perseverance. I have found it challenging to remember prayer requests week after week. I'm just being honest with you. People come to me, Ray, can you pray for this? Can you do that? I get lots of text messages from all over the world from people saying, can you pray for me? And so I have this wonderful wife, Missy, and her idea is, well, let's start keeping a prayer journal. And so we started to do this, and it's been great. We have the prayer journal. We have people's names when they request us. But when, when, when we also keep this request and we pray for them, Wednesday night's our prayer, prayer time. We get together and we pray. But one of the things that I've really liked about this journal is we find out that's answered. God dealt with that one. Yeah, remember that? That was Joey. And he walked, he's come back to his family, and he's trying to work it out. Yes! That's our God. But think about that. When people ask you to pray, do you write that down? Do you remember that? We'll talk about that later some things to do, but that's one of the points that he talks about. To improve our spiritual life, we have to be persistent. And the way that we can do that is to remember things about people that ask for prayer and even our own life. The persistent that Jesus talks about is very clear. He tells us in Luke eleven five through 8, that earnestness, boldness, relentlessness. This is what we mean. our prayer life. We must be earnest, bold, and relentless. If that's your prayer life, you're pursuing the right kind of prayer life. And now we reach our final sixth point. Especially diligent to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He tells us to petition for all the saints. The depths of prayer for the Christian family is best understood by the Greek word here, deomai. The word occurs 22 times in the New Testament, always with the meaning to say, to ask or to beseech or to beg for your Christian brothers and sisters. The requests were made specific, arising out of their needs, expecting definite help of spiritual nature. This intercession is visible and practical expression of our faith in the Lord and our fellowship with one another. We know that. Because we see that it involves, first of all, what does it look like? Forgiveness. We see that in Acts 8.22 for Simon. His heart was caught in iniquity. And yet he begs them to be forgiven. If you offended a brother or sister in Christ or done something you shouldn't have done, you go to them and ask them to for forgiveness. Is your prayer life so much that one of the first things you look at is you ask the Lord to search your heart, to try you, to know you, and look at areas that you are not being the light and salt that you need to be in your workplace or your home. Next, we see Jesus. He tells us, pray for God's harvest. And he tells us, Jesus himself in Luke 2, 10, 2, beseech the Lord for laborers unto his harvest as the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Where is the light and salt in this world? I couldn't help when we were driving down to a camping trip recently. We passed all these churches what difference are they making? Are people going out and sharing their faith? Do they see the difference in their life? If you've been, anybody ever asked you before, you know you seem to be different. What causes you to be this way? It's my life in Christ. I remember. I love this lady like no one can tell you. I tell her I love her too much. And she says, you can't love someone so much. But we like to hold hands. I love to hold her hand. And we were walking one time and someone says, how long have you been married? I think at that point we were married 35 years. We've been married 43 years now. And I said, we've been married 35 years. (gasps) You've been married 35 years? Yes. That's only because Christ has allowed us to love each other the way we need to. Oh, really? See, you open up the door. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Let me tell you what we should be about and what we're about. Our experience leading marriage Bible studies has been tremendous to watch people change their lives as they realize they are not living what God calls them to live. And that's what we see right here. This issue here, this labor of the harvest, there are people in your church and churches across America, they're not believers. They just come and I heard the pastor, thank you. I did this church or whatever. And more and more people are leaving the church because they are never really part of the body of Christ. So one of the things we want to be able to remind ourselves all the time is laborers for the harvest. Stand and proclaim Christ. And he tells us this other thing too. We need to stand for this last day. Luke 21, 36 says, Our hearts should not be weighed down by the worries of life, but straight that we should be praying for strength in the last days. My brothers and sisters... We are in the last days. (laughs) We are seeing the wickedness by which it's growing so fast. We don't know how much longer this will all be, but it's progressing rapidly. Everywhere that we've been, we've seen the same thing over and over again. So, we'll conclude our time together with the six ways in prayer that you should be applying your life. I'll do you a a quick review and I will give you a practical application that we're learning, but you might think of your own. So the first one is prayers with variety. And I find for me, I use the acronym, perhaps you've heard it before, ACTS, A-C-T-S. It stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. If you don't, You see that people, when you get together, they'll immediately run to their needs and what they need. They don't thank the Lord for what He is. They don't confess their their sin. They don't thank Him. They just run right away to what they need. So maybe adding their variety, think about the acronym ACTS. Second, make a frequent and regular part of your life. Consider making a schedule with your family. Maybe once a week that you get together and have a prayer time. In the morning, you have a prayer time. You schedule it. And you may not always keep your schedule, but it does help you if you have a schedule. Third, line up your prayers with God's word and will. And I, I have found that it's very helpful for me. I pray through the Psalms. I read a Psalm and I read through that and I pray that Psalm. That really helps me. And it really gets me excited about the word. Be on the alert to pray. Focus on your sanctification. Look at challenges others are facing and emergency situations. And I asked the Lord on the trail when I was on there for 119 days, Lord, give me divine appointments. And God did. There were people that came on the trail to me and asked me questions or they did things or anything else and I was stunned by it. I couldn't believe it. God did that. And we can ask the Lord to do that in our lives. Persevere. So we talked about that. The challenges will last a lifetime. They're in front of you. If you name the name of Christ, you walk in the beauty of his life you can remember this, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. And number six, last practical situation for prayer, focus on your brothers and sisters in Christ as they will be under constant spiritual attack. How do we do that? James 4.7 says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. My brothers and sisters, I love you, but the war is going on. And that's why I care enough to tell you, Lock and load. Put on your armor. Get ready in prayer. In 1741, Charles Wesley wrote this song, Soldiers in Christ Arise. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you might be able to find it. The Master of Seminary men sang this song, and I sent it to uh, my friend Jeff down there. It brought back so much ministry, but it was so here that these, I don't know, 200, 300 men singing, Soldiers of Christ, arise! I mean, it was like, yeah, baby, that's, that's what I love. It was, it was military, had that thing, and let's do it. So if you can find it on YouTube, you'll love it. But he says this, Soldiers of Christ, arise, put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son. Strong is the Lord of hosts and his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus trust more, and we are the conquerors. So I'll conclude this with this prayer, this one line from the song, Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brothers and sisters.